Hi, I'm Mark Kate. Welcome to episode 40 of Why We Listen. In this podcast, I meet with my guests to listen to and talk about music. I ask them to choose three pieces of music in advance, using whatever criteria they like, and we listen to those songs and we talk. In this episode, I meet with Miguel Gutierrez in his apartment in Brooklyn. Miguel is a performer, choreographer, and and many other things, as you'll hear. We listen to Gotham Lullaby by Meredith Monk, Your Million Sweetnesses by Diane Cluck, and A Flame by Colin Self. Two apologies up front. Listeners, I'm sorry it has been so long since my last episode, and especially sorry to Miguel, with whom I recorded this episode a long time ago. Actually, One more apology, my recorder had a lot of errors when recording this episode, so I was editing around subway noise and digital glitching, and that made this episode difficult to piece together, which was easy to procrastinate. And a lot has happened since Miguel and I spoke. Two things very significant to me are the presidential election and the ghost ship warehouse fire in Oakland a few days ago. Both these moments are terrible. Both are uh, impossible for me to get my head around. I'm not going to speak about the election on a podcast about music. And I fear that speaking about the ghost ship fire in any terms other than mourning and loss at this moment would be deeply insensitive. I found myself in a lot of conversations since then about what happened. But here, I don't really know what to say. Um, I'm not going to play music in this intro as I normally do, and I'm not even going to do an outro to this episode. I'm not in the studio. I'm recording this in- this intro into my phone. Uh, and Miguel has such a thoughtfulness and joy and a passion for the music we talked about, and I feel like I just want to get to those feelings ASAP. So you are on an art break, but not an art break a sabbatical of sorts i'm doing different kinds of work i'm not making a dance this year and i'm not even like planning to make a dance and that feels like a really different thing to do to not or to not do that or to not be in the planning stages or not be like grant writing to not be like seeking at residencies or production support or blah, blah 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 um i told myself that i would give myself at least a year away from that way of doing and that I would also spend the year focusing more on my writing and on my music making. You don't have to write a grant to make a song (laughs) and you can just kind of sit down and do it and it feels really immediate and direct because it's just me. Um, So so that's exciting to me actually that I don't have to reveal what the fucking thing is going to be like 16 months out from the first rehearsal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're working much more immediately. Yeah, and, and, and I'm also just kind of giving myself the time to go see work. Um, I kind of wish I could stop going to see dance concerts, actually, even though, uh, I mean, it would, me- it would mean that I was being a little bit mean to people that I know because I would not be going to support them, and I really value supporting people's work. But I am kind of wishing I could step away even from just seeing work for a bit or that kind of work and just kind of dedicate myself more to other kinds of work because I feel like I'm still receiving the rules of what it is by going to see it you know 
and and also I I feel uh, I don't know I'm just very aware of things like race and and class and the kinds of uh, the ways in which what is available to me is being curated for me and also curated by my own history of what I know and it would be nice to kind of complicate that that history a bit by imposing another thing of like I will only go I mean I, I, it's funny I've listened to your podcast for a while and I know that you were like I will no longer listen to things that are made in the last 10 years or I will only listen to things from the last 10 years you know and I and I, I feel like the need to do something similar around going to see performance it's because, really helpful yeah yeah yeah, yeah you yeah. could also you here's my suggestion sure stop going to see people's shows for a couple of months yeah PayPal them the, the, the money that you would be giving them. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. might be more insulting. That's maybe. weird, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honey, here's fourteen thirty-five. <laughs> Go get yourself some pasta <laughs> after the show. Yeah, it's a little... I don't know if I can pull that off. I think if I didn't go, I'd just want to not... I mean, it'd be interesting just to, like, not go to see Friends shows, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and to see, like, what happens if I only go see work by people I just don't know? Um, or I will only go see, like, chamber music, you know, or I will only go see... It's hard, you know, music... The culture of music concerts has always been... Well, not, like, something like chamber music, but, like, late night, hanging out late at a club to go hear a band, like, does not super appeal to me a lot, you know? And the discomfort of standing around and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And then the drinking and, uh, and people yelling and all this Like, I just not... not a huge fan of that culture and so there is something that i like about the kind of like weird like eight o'clock show um over by nine you know sort of culture of 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 a lot of dance and performance but um whatever you gotta fucking shake your shit up if you want to change i guess yeah yeah do the enya thing of not listening to anything but your own music I do feel very connected to Enya, at least that record with Orinoco Flow on it. So, sure. um, so I can appreciate that desire. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I could do that. You know, I think there's a there's such a. I mean, I think there's such a thing in culture or in the the world that I'm in around making and doing and. Uh, and there's such such so much uh, value given to people who are prolific, um, and people who produce a lot. You know this thing of like Prince's, you know, five million recordings that was just that were just discovered. You know, the, or yep. the, those kinds of these kinds of narratives that emerge or myth- mythologies that kind of get spun around the idea of doing, 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 doing. Um, and and then of course I think the the opposite narrative also exists of like John Kennedy O'Toole he wrote that one book a Confederacy of Dunces and like oh my God you know this genius and or Vivian Mayer you know this thing like this undiscovered artist and and so it's like this I think I think in general what I'm feeling is the the trappings of all those narratives um, and how at a certain moment in your in your career your trajectory. As an artist, and if and especially if you have had access to some level of success, that you you start to not be able to distinguish between the mythology and yourself, and and you're kind of like, am I am I my own PR? And so I, <clears throat> in order to sort of like have at least I don't know that at this point it's even an option for me to like detach entirely from that narrative or from the narrative of 
what the perception of me is because I think it's just too it's too complicated. I do think it's uh, uh, it's possible to, to take a step back and just think about, well, how is this working out for me? And what of it is useful and what of it is not useful anymore? And the fact is there's been a cost to the amount of work that I've been doing. Physically, there's been a cost for me in terms of injury and having to address injury and contend with dancing in pain, which is something that, you know, no one can appreciate what that actually is except for the person experiencing it. Um, and then I think there's been a personal cost as well, where the, where uh, uh, in terms of like my relationships or my ability to sort of um, get good at maintaining certain connections or reach out to people. I think when you're touring or traveling all the time, um, you just, you know, you, you, you just lose that skill or I've lost that skill. Let's say like, <laughs> I, I imagine other people are better at it than I am, but, um, it's harder for me. Like when I, when I've come, when I would come back into town from being away, half the time I'm just kind of like recuperating. And then the next chunk of time I'm preparing. So there's just a sense of like constant catch up with yourself and your life. And, uh, but meanwhile, the world is like, oh, but you're doing so great. Like, you're so successful. You're doing so, you know, and, and both things can be true. It can be true that you're successful, and it can also be true that you're struggling. Um, but unfortunately, nobody really wants to know about the struggling part. Mm -hmm. Because if you get into that, then it's like, oh, well, that's self-indulgent, or you're being a crybaby, all those kind of things. Um, you know, I mean, my last body of work, Age and Beauty, the series, is kind of naming those questions and those feelings and those frustrations, particularly in part two, where... We, 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 we gain access to kind of like the behind the scenes process of what happens in order to make work possible. And, and I, and it's funny cause I've read some of the reviews of that work and people are like, Oh, but he's like, he's fine. You know, like, what is he complaining about? And it's like, it's not about, it's not that I'm complaining. Didn't seem like complaining. Yeah. It I'm seemed not, just like a raw look. Yeah. This is just, just so you know, this is what's happening. And these are then the conflicts that emerge from this, uh, reality. And I'm not saying like boohoo, poor me. It's I'm I'm, see, I'm saying it has now constructed a different set of questions um, that I'm contending with. So yeah, <laughs> I was trying to think of well, why would I pick these three pieces of music, and I thought no, it has to be something that has there's been like a tidal wave of change or a tidal wave of feeling attached to each thing, and they're they're really song based choices although they're you know, you'll hear you'll see that they're not like necessarily conventional songs um and then everything else i want i want to i i feel like and then there's voice the, the the idea that there's voice in each uh selection feels really important to me too which i would have to, love to talk about more <laughs> shall we let's okay
When did you first hear Meredith Monk's music? Oh, God. So I was in seventh grade. Oh, wow. And I, um, I had <laughs> two of my best friends when I was in seventh grade were like, was like a sophomore and a junior. <laughs> um, one of them was Maggie Wenson. I think she was a junior. And she made me a tape that had um, Dolman Music on the one side, Meredith Monk, and Laurie Anderson's Big Science on the other. And she just like gave it to me. I still have it actually somewhere. And uh, I just said, I had no idea that that kind of sound existed, you know? Uh, I mean, obviously I would have been quite a, quite a precocious kid if I had known. Um, but I, I was just so affected by it. And it, I, it's funny because, you know, I've been listening to the songs and, and knowing that I was going to meet with you and, and, and it's like so intense how just listening to that song puts me right back in my bedroom at that age by myself at night. And I don't even know how I listen to it. If I listen to it like on a boombox or if I had a Walkman on, I want to say I had a Walkman on because it just feels so extraordinarily private. To me and the, both the music and then also the memory of the music and the idea of this this solitary figure in a room with this piano and singing and then there's just like one other instrumental sort of uh, uh, call <laughs> that comes in so there's such a sparseness to it and it's so uh, it's so unapologetically beautiful, right? Like there's such a the, the the melody is just so beautiful and it's a lamentation of sorts. Um, but then there's this other kind of piercing uh, high register sound, and so um, which 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 borders on you know gibberish or the nonsensical. Um, so I think that that just fucked my world up in the best possible way. I mean, I think it just completely gave me access to something that was, you know, obviously externalized, right? It's like this art product. It's a, it's a musical product, <laughs> but that it felt so extraordinarily personal and so, uh, from such, from some, such a deep place, you know, and then that whole record is just like so intense. Uh, and, uh, and that it was a voice. You know, I think the fact that it was a voice, not saying words. Um, all I think that it just made this like weird imprint on me, that I don't, I don't, I don't, I you know, of course, in in you know, looking at it retrospectively, it's it's quite you know tempting to like be like, and then this and this and this this happened as a result. Sure. I have no fucking idea, but it's not a surprise to me that the person who made the most impact on me as a young uh, human was an interdisciplinary artist, <laughs> yeah. you know, who has like a central medium, but then she also works with other mediums. Cause I feel like that's obviously very true to me as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see the Peter Greenaway documentary about her? No, I haven't. Oh, I so Peter Greenaway did this, uh, series called four American composers mm. and they're each an hour long. And it's John Cage, Robert Ashley, uh, Philip Glass, and Meredith Funk. <laughs> and each 
hour is done in the style of the artist. Oh, wow. That's the one. So Robert Ashley is all like chaotic multimedia. Uh The John Cage one is very anarchistic. Things start and end in completely random places. Um, There's no development. It's just, it just sort of happens in these fits and starts. And the Philip Glass one, everything is composed symmetrically with a mirror or a glass coffee table. So there are always like multiple, 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 multiple reflections of everything. Um, it's really beautiful. And the Meredith Monk one is just like beautiful and fun and playful. Oh, that's you know? nice. It's yeah. great. Yeah, that's funny. I have a funny uh, <laughs> Philip Glass. You know, I've seen Philip Glass actually a fair amount in the city. And but one time I was walking down Second Avenue with my friend Jeremy Wade, and we passed him, and we we're like, oh, "That's Philip Glass." And like twenty paces right after we passed him, we turned to each other. And we we're like, <laughs> "Like it was just like instant, instant glass." Uh, <laughs> we couldn't not do it. Yeah. But yeah, I actually had the. So I had the good fortune or whatever, a few years ago, Mover Research organization here uh, for their gala, their yearly gala. She was the guest of honor. Meredith was the guest of honor. And mm. I was asked to perform. And I sang this. I sang a version of this. Are you shitting me? Yeah. To like, you know, to the room. But it was really to her. Yeah. And I told the story of my friend Maggie giving me the tape and oh. listening to it and how it changed my life. And then... And then my friend Steven Raker and I, uh, you know, he played guitar and I had this like weird keyboard that he had. Um, and so I sang a version of it. But it was so funny because I, I, you know, I was like, I'm singing this fucking song to Meredith Monk. Like, I want to do it right. So I like, you know, I listened to it. And it was just like, like, trying to make sure I was doing it. And I had like a little crib, like crib notes or like cheat sheet. And then, and then I had to ask permission to do it actually mm-hmm. of her uh, uh sort of like her executive director guy at the time and he gave me the permission and then uh, afterwards he's like you know she just improvises that song when she does it <laughs> like oh. when she does it now it's like she just improvises it and i looked up online later like versions of it and she's just like you know she's totally like doing her own you know thing because i was like is it like five of these or six of those i didn't even try to do that because <laughs> i was like there's no way i'm gonna be able to get that part so I sang other stuff but uh it was just funny yeah anyway that was funny it was a lesson in like my analness compared to someone else's freedom right (laughs) I mean who knows like at the moment that she made it maybe there was like a really intensely specific thing that she let go of eventually I guess yeah I mean how 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 could how could you not I mean I don't know I'm I'm it's funny that even just that idea is interesting to me like uh, that sense of like how much do you feel tethered to the structure of a thing and, and and I think when you're dealing with song because as a listener I think you get so attached to the architecture of the song and you know it's disappointing when it changes like I get disappointed when I see live versions of songs that I love where they don't do the same melismatic lilts that they do on the recording because I'm like no 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 that has a whole I have a whole story in myself attached to that. And like, now that you don't do that, or maybe that's not in your range anymore, um, you know, it really shifts the story. And it's funny because of course, for the singer, for the performer, 
there's a tedium perhaps in repetition, but for the listener, there's the kind of deep satisfaction of like, oh, this thing that has meant this thing to me is now being like replicated back at me, you know? And so it's like my expectations and the thing itself are being woven together finally in this present moment. But uh, as a performer, I totally understand why you would not want to do that. Unless, you know, unless your medium is like, you know, jazz, right? where you know that it's never meant to be the same. Well, how much is that in your own work about how much freedom and, and improvisation do you allow for? It really changes depending on the piece. It's really, you know, it, it, it sometimes, you know, there are pieces that are like full on, just kind of like pretty, this pretty set. And then I have pieces like everyone, this piece from 2007, where it's just a series of choreographic scores. So, uh, you know, certainly the, ad, the the tasks at hand are the same from, from night to night, but the way they're going to unravel or who's going to end up with whom at different points of the piece are really different. Um, the uh, piece from 2012 and Lose the Name of Action, for me, one of the real successes of that piece is that a lot of people just can't tell when we're improvising and when it's choreographic. Um, you know, and of course you can go more into the conceptual realm of like, well, it's all choreography, you know, and, and we're just kind of like talking about different, what we're really talking about is different modes of attention um, and different modes of specificity to action, which are not, which is not necessarily the, the important thing. It's not the important thing of like what we're doing, but what, how we're, how we're doing what we're doing and the, the way that we pay attention to what we're doing. And then in, you know, Age and Beauty Part One, there's fully improvised sections Although Mickey and I, Mickey, my uh, partner in the piece, we never ever ever refer to them as improvisations. We hmm. we refer to them as a practice called instant performance. So, uh, you know, again, it's I, I like to sort of I love the you know this kind of I love the kind of instability that improvisation <laughs> provides, and also the terror, right? Like I think is something really critical about like having a thing where you're like I don't know what's going to happen right now. And to put that in the middle of a dance performance, um, where often what you know you're meant to just revel in the glory of this person's f- physical virtuosity, uh, and they're they're somehow knowing something that you don't know, as an audience member, for them to also not know, <laughs> levels the field a bit, and it, and it invites the possibility of 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 not just failure, but like I said, more more porousness. In, in the in the sense of the performance and you know for me that sense of the difference between improvisation and choreography like fell apart a while ago like I don't I don't get super anxious about fell apart for yourself fell apart not for historically me. no not historically okay, fell okay. apart for me in terms yeah. of in in terms of composition in terms of how I think about making now it's different when I'm thinking of uh, it's different when I make songs or if I sing or so I mean something I when I started studying voice, just which was just a few years ago, I think it completely altered the way I was listening to songs and listening to people singing. And I started to, more than I had ever before, profoundly uh, appreciate the art of interpretation. Um, and, you know, especially living in New York where there are so many extraordinary, particularly extraordinary cabaret artists who often, you know, are doing songs that are known. And so to really see how they are essentially like making these things plastic and reforming them according to their interests and their image and their politics and their cultural positions is uh is really extraordinary actually. So 
in my work, it's it's tricky because there like there's some room for that in some pieces, and there just isn't. Uh, and 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 regardless of whether or not there's improvisation, there is always this kind of uh, there is always this uh, structure that's holding the thing together that has to kind of fulfill itself. So, and you know, if it, even if it's just something as simple as time, you know, well, simple. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's also it's funny coming from San Francisco, and mm-hmm. I mean you. You spent some time there too, where there's the idioms of improvisation and how they can be geographically located, sure. and and how to share language yeah. with people physically. Yeah. Well, of course. Also, we're using a big word. Improvisation is a big word, right? Mm-hmm. It holds a lot of different traditions inside of itself. I mean, I think you know, in New York, um, certainly in the music world here. The, there's a tradition of improvisation which is, looks a very has a very specific aesthetic to it you know, where it's like a bunch of dudes sitting around a thing being really quiet for a really long time before somebody's like Me! you know <laughs> and and while I have fully engaged in that uh, <laughs> trope uh, I'm always sort of struck by how kind of funny it is or like how dude like it is and and uh, you know, because there's also another school of improvisation that's about, like, the mess and embracing the mess from the get-go and kind of walking in with the mess. And 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 so I, 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 I guess it's what I'm trying to say with that is just to say, like, I, I shy away from attaching the notion of improvisation to truth. You know, that somehow, like, I'm going to get, like, attached, like, by just really paying attention to the moment, I'm, a, I'm tapping into the truth. It's like not, that's not what compels me about it. What compels me about it is the mix and the mess and the anxiety and the, and the kind of inadvertent uh, things that are revealed and, and, the, and the permission or impropriety of the moment, you know. I feel like that actually emerges for me most strongly like in my sense of humor, you know, in, that, in the way that uh, being queer kind of, you know, gives you access to this like history of wit that is like you know both sort of social and and cultural and and political in its in its in its commentary but also is meant to entertain but is also meant to sort of show that you're funny and smart and it's also a way of undercutting uh the propriety of a situation survival skill exactly exactly Yeah. yeah 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 You know, I mean, I think that I have a... It's weird, like, in that I am in, really interested in irreverence, but I also have so much reverence for the uh, for the practices of things. And, 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 you know, I can tap in pretty quickly, if I'm seeing a performance, into whether I perceive that there's a practice or not at play. You know, if there's a thing that's kind of tethering this thing together or, or containing it, um, and which has to do with often a sense that there's been a shared... Uh, people have gone through a shared set of questions together and and you know whether again whether it's improvisational or not actually is not necessarily even that critical to me but if it's improvisation then I definitely want to feel that way or I want to definitely see that that's that that's at play um, yeah and that does carry for me like I don't know I do love the I do like I in my own work I often 
agree to do these like one-off shows like if someone asks you to do a thing and I often will create a very very basic structure for myself and then just kind of go for it and that's where this language of instant performance came out of at some point because I realized that I was like you know partly it was functional it's like if I'm not gonna get paid much I don't want to like put out much <laughs> in terms of rehearsing or like getting too fancy of a costume together and then also I was like no I think it's also exciting to sort of deal with the emergency of the situation, you know, like to really think of the situation as emergency. And like, I have to, in the way that if you're crossing the street and a car is barreling at you, like all your leaf reflexes just kick in. Like you don't sit there and think like, I must get out of the way because a car will now hit me. It's like, you just boom, you go. And it's fun to, it's fun. It can be fun also to do performances from that standpoint. Yeah. Sweetnesses are sometimes not enough to keep me lapping at the flood tide of desire. This is how I walk when I have given up. Do you see how free the body moves? The bones inside the skin are loose. And I know if I could see you That you'd be walking like this too Marry a virgin Marry not a virgin Marry someone who sold their sex to God or man Marry completely and give yourself wholeheartedly To everything that wants you and everything you are I have spent time with unspoiled birds and generous sunshine that taught me doing nothing and I do recall that my very best friends are the ones who left me empty and ready to be filled again your million sweetnesses are sometimes not enough to keep me laughing blood tide of desire. This is how I walk when I have given up. Do you see how free the body moves? The bones inside the skin are loose. And I know if I could see you that you'd be walking like this too. I have no idea who that was. Oh, cool. I thought you might not know. Um, Diane Cluck, uh, she's a singer-songwriter. 
That song is that's from like 2003, I think. That from that record, I can't remember the record now. Um, but the song is called "Your Million Your Million Sweetnesses," and um, she used to live in New York, and now she lives in Virginia. She has for a while. Um, when I was in in the '90s, I was in a band called Princess um, with two friends of mine, Howie Rigberg and Julie Kim. And Howie, after Princess broke up, well, after I broke up from the band, <laughs> um, uh, Howie went on to do a project called My Robot Friend, which I think he still does, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and Julie and I, I, I don't know if it was that we were doing a show at Tonic, or I can't remember what exactly it was, but we were at Tonic. And I was with Julie, and I saw we saw this woman play, and we were like, "What the fuck? That was amazing!" And uh, I bought her first record then, and would listen to it all the time. And uh, and then I was in a show. I was in a Sarah Mitchelson dance piece, uh, where the, the beginning of the piece we we stand on releve for five minutes. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know what releve is, it just means like standing on your tippy toes, uh, balancing on your tippy toes, and and then we like slowly sink down to the floor, and I was charged with the task of maintaining the the five minute mark. So there's a song of hers on her first record called Monte Carlo that's five minutes long. So I would sing that song to myself in my head, mm. uh, and that was how I knew. And then I ran into her on the train, <laughs> and. and uh, and I was like, oh my god, I love your music, I'm in this show, and blah blah blah, releve, five minutes, Monte Carlo. She's like, okay. Um, and then, and then, I don't know, remember when it happened, like, I just, we just started running into each other. And then I was curating something called Studio Show for a while, uh, at this place called Shea Bushwick in Bushwick, a, 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 a rehearsal space. And... When I was curating it, I was really invested in, in putting together an evening of work that wasn't all dance. So I would have like two or maybe three dance things, always a music thing, um, something else maybe entirely. And then there was an interview. And Topiary was the host, yeah. our, our dear friend Samuel Topiary, yeah. as uh, Technopia. She would ho- she would be the MC as, as her incredible, incredible character, Technopia, uh, from the planet Zoloft. And so Diane performed then as well and uh so i just have i just have been following the music and then i ended up co-directing her first music video a couple years ago uh to a song that she has called sarah um and that was really really a really lovely experience because she's just like she's actually kind of this extraordinary mover like really beautiful uh sense of herself physically and 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 she, yeah, she just has like this beautiful body of work of like incredibly beautiful songs with very um, just quite poetic lyrics and uh, and that particular song, you know. So I don't know. I didn't, like and I was saying why I was picking the songs I was picking. I thought you know it felt like I, I should pick songs that that evoke strong emotion or that it sort of were attached to strong emotion and you know, love is a strong emotion. And I was in this relationship with someone that I was very in love with and this was kind of the soundtrack of our relationship was this was her music. 
Um, so much so that I'd actually like, I kind of can't listen to, to the music now. Um, and when we separated, I listened to that song in particular every day. So I listened to, I listened to Mariah Carey and, 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 and that song every day. Mariah Carey and that. Mariah Carey's We Belong Together and then Holy Thank Bless Your Million Sweetnesses. And I would just listen to it every day and I would have like, you know, have you seen, um, have you seen Broadcast News? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, with, you know, was it Holly Hughes just like yeah. has an hour of the day that she just like weeps. And that was what I would do. I would, like I would put it on. I would have this like fucking crazy ass cry. And then the song would end and I'd like wash my face and I'd go out to the apartment. And it was just like this, this daily, uh, just like <laughs> internal cleanse that I was doing. It was rough. But, and then at night I was like listening to Mariah Carey. So it was, it was, it was like the two ends of the spectrum, you know, from like pop to like, uh, to sort of whatever, alt, 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 uh, alt music, whatever, uh, alt folk, right, that's what they call it, uh, and, uh, you know, the lyrics, I mean, her opening the line is, you know, your million sweetnesses are sometimes not enough to keep me lapping at the flood tide of desire, and, uh, and so there's so many, there's so much contradiction in the song about, you know, my very best friends are the ones who left me empty and ready to be filled again, you know, which seems kind of contradictory, actually, to what friendship does, which is often fill you up, and so, She's just working with these kind of these images that are so uh, uh, I don't know. There, there's conflict, and 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 that relationship had a lot of conflict, and and you know, of course, mourning and grieving over something evokes so much sense of conflict because you you're you're tethering yourself, or you're 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 feeling attached to something that's now gone, but you're contending with it in the present, and your future feels quite defined by it you know so it's like this weird thing and um yeah i don't know that i i also i also feel like i introduced that her music to a lot of people because i used to play it in my dance classes around then like i played like this incredibly sad sad music and of course all these people after like what was that that was so pretty and uh and it just it just felt like i felt really I mean, this is something I think is just true about me. Like when I love something, I just want everybody to know about it, right? Like it's like I just like I'm like you have to know what this is, yeah. and so I just felt like I, ha I was like the missionary, you know, or I was like this this uh, person sending this music out to everyone. Yeah. What do you think? I liked it. I don't. Um... I mean, it's really beautiful. Yeah. The I don't want to say that type of music. No, I'll say that that the, that type of music doesn't um, grab me as much as mm. a lot of other things. Sure. Um, there's a type of simplicity with acoustic instruments yeah. that that leaves me wanting a bit more. Oftentimes, mm. sure. Depending. Yeah. I mean, I can li listen to Cat Stevens all day, so that's not entirely. <laughs> Oof, all day. Not always true. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I chose also one of her most sort of distilled songs because okay, yeah. she has songs where there's like multiple tracks, or she has songs where she's a lot. There's lots of harmonies, and uh, or the guitar picking is a lot trickier. But I thought, kind of again, I guess the the selections for me, there's something about the kind of sparseness, you know, of of. Something about this, you know, if you listen, you know, if you, you can, maybe you heard it, but you can, if you listen to your headphones, you can hear back room sound, mm. you know, she's like recording in a room or something right. and, and, 
I think I got I was so inspired by that as well when I first listened to her songs. So this yeah. idea that like she's just doing this wherever the fuck she is, right. and and there is this kind of direct connection, and she doesn't need more actually than this guitar and her singing, and and that is such a that's such a good sell for me, given that like what I do often requires so much fucking. Michigas, you know, like the the stage and the lights and the people and the hubba 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 and then like to you know that incredible envy I have when I walk when I come across something and I'm like oh my god it's just this thing like you're just you're just speaking a poem or you're just playing your guitar and of course right like playing a guitar thing it's like can be a kind of hateful trope you know certainly certainly when you see it like in the city and some random person yeah. singing. Well, I think it's also song. connected to something else I'm I have a bit of difficulty with which is like raw earnestness mm, uh -huh. I think I'm just sure. maybe even too much a product of my generation sure. to like be confronted with really really earnest music yeah. or film or poetry or yeah, yeah. Uh, that or dance yeah that I'm just a little suspicious or something. Yeah. Like my, my, my knee jerk reaction is, is suspiciousness. Sure. I'm, and that's about me. That's not about the work. Yeah. What do you think that's about? I don't trust people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I think, no, I actually, it's probably like, I think I'm just a little too cynical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't need other things to be cynical, but yeah. things that are the opposite, like where there's no trace of, I don't need irony, Yeah. but I'm more comfortable with irony or something with critical distance than I am with, uh, with something that's that sort of unapologetically unexamined. It's hmm. funny. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I think I'm with you until you said the word unexamined. Well, I don't mean, I don't mean, yeah, no, actually that is what I mean. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a criticism. It's, mm -hmm. you know, when you're that raw and open, you're raw and open. There's yeah. not, it's not, it's not self-reflective. Yeah, it's yeah. not critical. It's not, um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I guess I, I, the different feelings that evokes for me are as one is like, I often, I guess I, uh, to like borrow from a, ter a horrible thing in the world, which is the gender binary, um, I often feel like that sensibility is located in the realm of the feminine and therefore uh, vilified as such. And and you know, I feel such extraordinary identification with that realm um, and with that sensibility, and the way in which that has sort of influenced my work and my thinking and my presence in the world is to sort of. Uh, to honor that realm as that kind of um, almost archetypal thing, right? And and also to really uh, honor and accept its intelligence and to see it as intelligence, right? And and to not need it to kind of offer something else besides itself. And you know, and it's of course it's much more complicated than this, right? And you know, you're, we're listening to one song by a person who's done tons of songs, but something that sort of shocks me over and over in my life because I'm someone who's sort of straddling both the realms of performance, but then also I'm very invested in somatics and, uh, you know, I'm a Feldenkrais Method practitioner and now, and um, so there is something that I'm dealing with 
when I'm dealing with bodies that has to do with some sort of, uh, not uncomplicated, but some earnest connection to a person and direct connection. And it's critical if I'm working on someone or if some, I'm being worked on, that there is a kind of sense of, of clarity and directness to that connection. Um, and that, there's a, that that form of intelligence is so often disregarded in our culture. So often sort of seen as like strange. You know, the idea that you would go to a hospital and actually just want to touch the patient and to find out how the person's doing instead of like plugging a sh tons of shit in them and then looking at a piece of paper and looking at their chart and be like, well, let's look at how their chart is reading. And it's like, no, actually, you could just touch the motherfucking person and <laughs> ask them a question and you would have a much more direct, raw, earnest uh, response of, of what's true. So I think it's a it's 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 something I really think about a lot and I struggle with actually in my work because a lot of times there is this question of like well if i have this one thing to say why don't i just say it you know like what what's why cloud it in abstraction or in even um formal layering you know because sometimes it feels like that formal layering is there to satisfy other people's perception of what's acceptable to be heard or not, right? So it's, a, and this is like, the tension between those two things feels really uh, rich, actually, in terms of performance. I think when you're making a song, it's so interesting because it's like a poem. You know, a song is a poem. And poetry has many attributes, but one of its, one of its characteristics is often uh, selection and specificity of selection. And so just finding enough of what you need to convey maybe even just a feeling. Um, and, and I think the, the, again, when you're grappling with grief or, or, or loss, um, that you can attach it, you know, like I feel like when I hear those opening uh, strains of the guitar, it's almost like I can feel myself taking steps you know, towards this kind of feeling, you know, it's like, dun, 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 you know, it's like just each note is singular enough that I can be like, ah, okay. I can like, it's like climbing rocks and there's like the footholds and I can actually feel what the footholds are, uh, which is, would be different in a different kind of song. If there's like a wash of sound where it's like this feeling or immersion of feeling. And at the time I know that I was so, uh, I really felt like I was like, drowning actually in feeling that that there was this thing that like was like a stepladder that I could actually attach myself to felt so um yeah pretty useful <laughs> I didn't expect to talk about that oof ask me a question please no let's listen to something else oh god okay
So what was that? That's Colin's self. Oh. Yeah. It's Rad. a piece of Colin's called A Flame. It's from his record Elation. Um, yeah, I thought it would be good to to have something that I'm currently obsessed with. <laughs> and I love that record so much. I've had Holly Herndon as a previous guest oh, on the nice, podcast. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah, so they're they're good buddies and they work together. Yeah, I mean Colin is is kind of a someone I've known for years in New York but is more recently become a close friend. I heard this record last year. I was at a party in Fire Island at a friend's house and somebody's like put this music on and and I was like what the fuck is this music and then I saw it was Khan and it was that weird thing where it's like you know somebody but you don't actually really know what their work is and then you hear it and you're like oh fuck <laughs> that's what you do shit you know <laughs> it's like and it's like it was like this swirl of feeling of like amazement and then like total envy and 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 then just like you know, envy is always a great thing because then you know that you like something in a way or you know that it's good, right? Because you're like, <gasps> I wish I had done that. Um, but then you realize that right on the other side of envy is kinship, right? It's like, oh, the reason I'm envious is because I'm close to this. If you're an evolved, <laughs> if you're emotionally evolved enough, that's true. Sure. Well, a I, lot of people who just, does, just envy and rot there. Yeah, I don't, li I don't, I, yeah. That's I, not you. That's not really my... I can't live in that place. It's not useful. It's not useful. I mean, you know, I not like to sound like some fucking bodhisattva. I definitely can live there with certain situations in life. But um, I do a lot of work on myself, let's say, to not live there. And in this case, it was very simple because just the music was so... I just loved it. You know, and I was like, my love of it is more important to me than my need to distance myself from it, which is what envy does, right? It sort of like holds things at a distance to be like, well, fuck that. And then, you know, I, I, I didn't even get the record for a while. And then I finally reached out to Colin. I was like, I want to get this record. And then I got it. And I just started just listening to it all the time. And, and now it's like if I've gone, or even just in the last like few months of having the record, I feel like I've gone through like weird waves of like obsessive listening to it and then stepping away. And um, I'm having another cycle of it right now. And this song in particular, because, you know, we're talking about emotion <laughs> and we're talking about voice. And I feel like this is a beautiful example of how you can use these things, but in this kind of more epic scale, right? So this is like a, kind of the, the uh, you know, although it very well may just be Colin in a room actually constructing all that. It's kind of has a tonal somewhat somewhat totally opposite to this thing of like Meredith sitting at a piano by herself in a room and like here's this thing that's for me is about filling a space entirely and it's just so gloriously unapologetically enormous which is so satisfying to hear that especially feels sometimes radical sometimes to hear that level of like just ambition and also for me it evokes a complete uh, it has such pastoral qualities to me. Like it like mm. feels like I, I, it's so funny. I was with Colin the other night and we were talking about this song and I was like, I was like, I have a music video for this song in my head that is so powerful. And I started to describe it and, and he was like, Oh my God, I have the same vision. <laughs> and it's like, there's a hill and there's like, 
horses and there's queer people <laughs> with like incredible makeup and there's like banners and it's just like dancing and, and it's like I, and you know whatever if somebody that's out there wants to give us like a million dollars we can make this gorgeous video happen um and that's such an incredible thing right as a again as a person who works in performance when there is a piece of music that triggers that level of image and that level of like reverie that phenomenon of walking down the street listening to the song and like actually I'm somewhere completely else I'm in just like I'm in like some queer Game of Thrones land you know <laughs> and and it just it's so uh, it's so powerful and I I, I, I don't know what I want to say about it. I mean, for me, there's something special in the fact, I don't know Meredith Monk personally, but like that I have interacted with her and that I do know Diane and that I do know Colin. Like there's something so special to me about having, being lucky enough to have personal relationships with people who create these worlds that I've completely immersed myself inside of at different points in my life for different reasons and that right now I'm immersing myself very much in this world of sound um, and just what also what's happening chorally in that song which is so church-like and that's just such a that's such an old love for me of kind of polyphony and choral uh, majesty you know I think it's a it's it's something I like to do a lot as well and uh, I, I always you know yeah it's like when you're in a stairwell or you're in a church and the first thing you want to do is just, you just want to start singing because yeah. it just feels so great to sing there. Well, for me, <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Um, that was great. That yeah. was like totally for yeah. me. Yes, yeah. a little bit, um, you know, it's giving me kind of a bit of what I like about something like these new Puritans, but mm -hmm. without the machismo yeah. or... Or Animal Collective, like that yeah, sort of like sure. interval, those intervals yeah. that are really, you know, yeah. Beach Boysy. Yeah, and really, the reverb, the crazy, yeah. the loss, the just the sort of, of yeah. sound. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, 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 so beautifully, so effective. Yeah. I, I gravitate towards music that takes up a lot of space yeah. and where things are kind of actually competing, like where there's a little bit of like, that's not how we record music properly, sure. you know, where it's just too much. Too much, exactly. Yeah, I, of course. That's my comfort zone. Yeah, I love, I, I, I you know, I, 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 I really deal in epic scale often in the work that I do. Um, even if it's a small scale piece in terms of size, but the feelings are so fucking epic. You know, <laughs> like, I feel like I don't understand the point of art unless it's about life and death. Like, I just don't understand. You know, like, I yes. don't, you I, know? That's like, why I only watch horror movies. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something is at fucking stake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, there has to be high stakes. You know, or ugh, I, don't know, I hate saying hearing myself say that, but like that sounded but, really good. Just keep okay. Going. I want to go with it. You know, I mean, you know, there has to be a sense of necessity and high stakes, and like you're gonna fucking die if you don't make this. You, you know, when I do find other artists that I that I you know, and, and it's all projection. Like I don't fucking know. Maybe for right. them, it's like I just tossed this thing up before breakfast, and then I you know went went for a little walk with my friend. Like I don't know, but for me, when there's a sense of like this thing was like torn out of you out of necessity um that for me is so thrilling you know and and uh 
I, I guess because what I do is often really uh, physical, you know, and the physical for me is directly related to the temporal and to mortality, right? Because, because the, of course, the way we experience the physical body is temporarily. Um, and also through an arc of time where our experience of the body it alters and it falters, right? Like over time, the body just starts to, to fail in a certain kind of way. So there's, there's a, for me, there's an attachment to that failure uh, moving right alongside the accumulation of experience and knowledge and those two strange like vectors kind of moving together and apart. And that's critical. Like to me, that feels like that's a critical thing to talk about, and that's a critical thing to make art about. And that feels like sweeping and t like ancient. Like it feels like also it's like it feels ancestral. Like it's something that we're carrying through us. And and I, you know, again for me, this music feels so ancestral. Like it feels so in in homage to its forebears. Like there's no like. I don't think there's any resistance to acknowledging that there are musical antecedents to this kind of sound. And yeah, it, it has, for me, horizon. There's so much horizon uh, in the sound. And there's so much like, you know, and again, I'm projecting it again because now I've not gotten to know Colin and that's so much the kind of energy he has as a human being in the world where you're just like, you hang out with him and like, you're just like, oh my God, anything's possible. We could go jump off a fucking cliff probably and we'll survive. You know, like that's the kind of energy he is bringing into the world, which is so, so beautiful. And so I think uh, necessary actually right now more than ever. And so it's been so nice to kind of swim in the kind of, feeling of the music while also, of course, getting to know this, this extraordinary person. I mean, that's one of the things I feel really lucky about living here is getting to actually get to know the people that inspire me or have, and have direct connection to them. A direct access, let's say, even like, not always, you know, not always like hanging out with like <laughs> the, the glitterati, but uh, it's just interesting that that happens here.